everybody. Steven Jensen here with Brad Pedersen. I got it right this time, not Peterson. Hey, Peterson. nailed it. Nailed it this time. Uh, welcome back to the show, Brad. Uh, Brad was on uh, just, I think, last week or the week before. We were doing, uh, what show did we do? Did we do Royal Rumble or NXT? Huh? I can't remember now. A couple weeks ago, uh, doing the uh, Royal Rumble preview. That's right, the Royal Rumble prediction show. That was a good show. And that was it was, and every... Every single prediction of mine was wrong, except for Bianca Belair. <laughs> yeah. So my girl came through. <laughs> I uh, I did really poorly as well. Um, shout out to WrestleRumble.com because we were, of course, you know, part of that pick'em contest, and uh, yeah, I didn't do too well on that night, unfortunately. Yeah, I was miserable. I didn't even uh, come up in the placement this time, so I must have done so bad that uh, you know, they spared me. So, <laughs> hey, I feel you. I was I was out of that placement as well. It, it's a humbling feeling when you're not in like the top sixty of a of a pick'em contest, and like you talk about wrestling all the time. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's humbled as uh as the Iron Sheik would say, this jabroni's been humbled. There, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, you know, anyone in the chat, feel free to let us know you're watching. If you have any questions, comments, anything at all. Um, as always, the super chats are much appreciated. You can do that right that right there through YouTube, and there's also two donation links in the description, so you can use either of those. You get your questions read, you get your answer, you get your statements read. If you have a business, especially small you know small businesses right now with what's going on in the world, if you want some really cheap advertising, you want to throw a couple bucks our way, I will read out uh, the name of your business and. <clears throat> this all goes on the audio feed as well. I've been doing the uh, the Fight Talk podcast audio for like since around 2016 or so, I think. And all those listeners hear these a day after we go live. So anyone who wants to be part of the show, it isn't just right here live on YouTube. All the audio listeners here as well. So um, feel free to join in. We want to hear what you have to say. We want you to be a part of the conversation today. And today's topic is basically AEW Dynamite. We're going to talk last night's show uh, which I thought was a really good show. And uh, and yeah, Brad, before we get into all that, is there anything uh, you want to talk about or anything you'd like the listeners to know about? Well, it was a hell of a show, but uh, before we get going, uh, as the head of creative for Wrestle Rumble, uh, I think I would be amiss not to point out the next big Just a Buck contest is the Revolution for AEW. It will be going off the night of AEW Revolution, and you will get so much gold if you get pulled for this that they will think that you robbed a bank. Uh, you're looking at winning the AEW Heavyweight Championship, the TNT title. Not one, but two tag team championship belts, as well as the FTW belt that Team Taz carries. So uh, just a buck, get that in. And also, don't forget to check out me and my friends uh, Damian and Justin over at the Worst Wrestling Podcast. Uh, we're the ones that have the microphone, since there are two, but we're going to take the title of the worst. <laughs> there you go. And for sure, that Wrestle Rumble contest, uh, that's insane. That's for $1 entries. Like, for $1, somebody's going to win all of those title belts. And they're all, for someone like me, and we're about to talk about AEW, like, you get all basically the only title belt you don't get is the women's title. I mean, you get every other title belt that's represented in AEW, I think, which is insane. I mean, that is what a prize list for $1. I, oh, yeah. com killing it always. 
Yeah, Wrestle Rumble is stepping it up. And uh, to be honest with you, there are some big, big things coming. Get ready for WrestleMania season is all I will say. Ooh, I cannot wait. You guys got to give me the Iggy on that. Uh, let me know what's coming before before the public does. Get, get me excited. I won't spoil it. I won't spoil oh, no. it for anybody. Yeah. I. Uh... There, there will be a couple of contests. So uh, just uh, get ready. Put on your Mania pants and get ready to dance. We're going to give it to you right away, man. I'm looking forward to it. And also, I want to give a quick happy birthday to my stepmother, Lori. It's her birthday today. I realized that she just called me as the show was starting, so I'll try to give her a call back afterwards. I'll be playing uh, phone tag today. She had to work today, so it was like we were missing each other all day. But happy birthday to Lori. Um, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Um, you know, for those of you who know, you know, my mother passed away when I was 14, and uh, my dad remarried a few years later, and luckily... The person he remarried, Lori, wound up being, you know, a really great person. And, you know, if, if as bad as the situation is to lose a parent, like, it's, I'm really fortunate to, that, like, my stepmom wound up being great. So, uh, so I do want to show her some love here on her birthday, dedicate the show to her. And we're going to be doing, on Valentine's Day, just coincidentally happens to be the same day, we're going to be doing a prime rib uh, over at uh, my parents' house this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that, so can't beat that Nah, can't beat that so looking forward to uh you know more wrestling this week more stuff going on this weekend i mean we have impact wrestling's no surrenders on saturday we've got nxt takeover on sunday so you know if y'all want my predictions for all this stuff i've been doing it live right here on the show and of course the audio version as well so uh yesterday uh, i did a live show with my buddy pat aka throwback and the audio went up today, so if y'all want to check out my NXT TakeOver predictions, those are up right now. And I'll be doing some live Impact Wrestling. I've already given my predictions for those of you who subscribe to FightfulSelect.com. So if you're already on Fightful Select and you listen to the Weekender podcast, you already know what my predictions for Impact Wrestling is no surrender are. But I'm going to do a live uh, a live uh, show here tomorrow and talk a little bit about no surrender. So um, a lot of good stuff going on uh, this week and this weekend, so... Looking forward to a lot of stuff. Big week. Yes, sir. Big, big week. Yes, sir. Anything else going on with you? Anything else uh, at all you want to talk about before we dive into AEW? No, it will all come out as we talk about this show. And, man, it was a hell of a show. Yes, it was. Totally agree. So let's pull up. Zach caught the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to go through the card here. Uh, you know, start Speaking of you know, stack from top to bottom, the opener of the show, we had Darby Allen defending the TNT Championship against the bad boy Joey Janela. And something that I love so much about this is there's there's a handful of things. One, on a personal level, the first time I saw these two wrestle was in a high school gym in Chattanooga, Tennessee, probably in 2017 or so. And to see these guys wrestling each other on TNT with a title on the line, like with you know, potentially hundreds of thousands, if not close to a million people watching, it's, it's rewarding to see, like, you know, to see these guys succeed to this kind of level, so it was really cool to see that. In the build-up, um, on their YouTube channel, AEW had put up some really good promos about how, like, Darby Allen talking about how when he was coming up on the indies, Joey Janela was the top guy in that scene. And when AEW started, it was Janela versus Moxley, you know, main eventing, you know, impact. 
and Darby Allen was, you know, on the prelims basically and stuff like that. And now the roles have reversed. And now Joey Janela is trying to show everybody why he was the man on the indies and like and get that spotlight. And Darby's trying to show why, you know, he's in the spot he is now. I thought the it was really well built in a very short amount of time. But if you know their history, you know they've wrestled years back, you know, in front of, you know, small audiences and stuff. So um that all being said, what did you think about this match, Brad? And you know, what do you think about Darby retaining and everything? I, I think Darby retains a natural fit. I mean, that guy connects with every age level. Uh, he's a hell of an athlete. Uh, you, you just can't go wrong with him. Uh, you know, the thing is uh, that I was sort of thinking about when I rewatched that match is just what you brought up. It's sort of crazy how I remember when AEW came to be, signing Joey Janela was such a big deal. So many people were talking about it. There was so much going on with it, but now I feel like he's kind of a background player, and uh, you know that's unfortunate because I think Joey Janela has so much to offer. Uh, I think right now AEW is in a situation where it's almost an embarrassment of riches, and uh, hopefully they can get some of these guys uh, like Joey Janela shining again. I mean, there's just so much to him that you know I hope we don't lose him in the wash. Yeah. And, you know, I think that part of the reason he's in the spot he's in, I think, because, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure everybody wants to be, you know, the AEW world champion and stuff. And I, I'm sure if I was asked Joe Janelle, oh. like, what do you want to do in AEW? Like, he wants to be the top guy. I think I think if you don't want to be the top guy, like, you're kind of wasting everybody's time, including your own. Like, everyone should want to, you know, be doing the best. And... um that's something with Janela that's just really, you know, he's in a kind of an interesting spot because he still is very involved on the indie scene. Like, he still does a lot of stuff with GCW. So he kind of has, like, one foot in, one foot out, I feel like. And maybe that's also kind of a reason why you don't, like, really truly go all the way with him because he is still going to have some of his time kind of over here doing something different, if that makes any sense. Like, for instance, absolutely. And, and, and here's a, something that most people probably didn't even know it happened. You know, GCW did their Fight Forever show a couple weeks ago, 24 hours straight on YouTube. And in that show, Joey Janela wrestled a guy, Everett Connors. Everett Connors is another one of those guys. Uh, he came out of the St. Louis area, trained by Michael Elgin. I first saw him Glory Pro years back. And he's a guy who, like, really hadn't veered much out of that area of the U.S., and now he just debuted in GCW and he debuted against Joey Janela and he beat Joey Janela in this like incredible match that like nobody really saw coming. And after that match, Joey Janela got on the microphone and said, Hey, like, I feel like the bad boy's back now. Like they, it took a minute, but like, I'm feeling like Joey Janela again. And I needed a match like this to like really believe in myself again. So I think there's been a little bit of a, uh, him kind of figuring out who he is within AEW as well. So I think it's a lot, kind of a mix of a lot of those things. But ultimately, I think Joey Janela is a really great person for AEW to have because he also keeps that door really open with those indie guys. That And that's where a lot of the talent in the future is going to be coming from, you know? Agreed. Uh, and the thing is, I think one of the disadvantages for Joey Janela is he's so known for just brutal, hardcore matches, throwing all character to the wind. But, you know, on a, a network like TNT, you can't necessarily be throwing somebody through glass tubes or, uh, you know, any of the really hardcore stuff that he's known for. 
So, uh, you know, I always thought that might hold him up a little bit. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, I'm glad to see him getting some airtime and uh, taking on Darby. Uh, the one thing that really, really surprised me with this match was there was so much more mat wrestling to it than I expected. I expected this to be a lot of high flying, a lot of just, you know, going through the air at all times, hard hitting. And, you know, it was hard hitting. And there were a few spots where it was extremely high flying, like Darby Allen's uh, bullet style suicide dive was insane. That was nice. But uh, these two really sort of show what you don't see a lot of from them, which is getting down and grappling. Yeah. I like that. They showed that as well. They're both very versatile performers. And, you know, that's a big reason why I think they're in AEW is because they're two guys who like, for instance, the first time I saw these guys wrestle, AEW didn't exist. Like the concept didn't even exist. And, I remember thinking, like, these guys are tearing the house down, but, the, like, the WWE is just, just never going to sign these guys. Like, their their size. I just felt like their size was always going to be a gigantic issue for their... Same, I, I felt the same way about Marco's stunt. I was like, this guy's doing incredible stuff out here, and, like, he's the man, like, everywhere I see him wrestle. But it's just... It was sad because I was like, there's no... There's no way the WWE is going to be interested, though. Like, and and I think that it's kind of one of those things where like with guys like Darby Allen, Joe Janela, they have worked so hard over these years to like get so good on the indie scene at so many different things, not just the death match type stuff, but also you have to know how to mat wrestle. You have to know how to do a little high flying. You got to keep, you know, the attention of these indie crowds and because of all that stuff and them probably thinking to themselves, like this is probably the farthest I'm getting. So I'm going to go all out. I'm going to learn everything. I'm going to be the best that it possibly can be. And then all of a sudden AEW becomes a real thing and they're ready to go. Like you can put these two guys in there against anybody. And I think the match is going to be good. Oh yeah. They're very plug and play guys. You can plug them in with just about anybody. I mean, Joey Janela especially has shown that. I know Darby likes to keep that mystique where he's sitting up in the rafters, a la Sting in uh, the NWO era. But uh, Joey Janela, every time you see him, I think he's a, an elevating guy. He elevates everybody that he works with. Yeah. And uh, one kind of little funny thing about Darby Allen, not really funny, but like, I don't know how to really say it other than that guy, like, that's not really a gimmick. Like, as crazy as it is to think that, like, this... I saw him in New Orleans. I think it was New Orleans. It had to have been New Orleans because it was definitely a WrestleMania weekend. And I saw him skateboard, like, into the abyss, like, off Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Like, I was like, Darby Allen's actually just, like, skating away by himself, like, into the distance. Like, like in real life. Like, that's just, like, what this guy... It, he, that's who he is. Like, it, it isn't even really a gimmick. Yeah. It, I you know it's... I think it's awesome, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he's just living the living his best <laughs> life, and uh, you know it comes through with how he puts himself out there. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. What did we have after this? You know, the whole uh, forbidden door thing I think is kind of interesting because they're talking about this a lot on Impact Wrestling. Uh, you know, specifically Tony Khan, the 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 forbidden door, of course, being the new Japan, AEW, Impact, NWA, all these com- all these companies seemingly working together right now and the forbidden door has been, you know, pushed wide open which which is great. Um we got a super chat just now. Let's actually uh let's address this real quick. 
we had a, a message here from Ahmed, donated $5. Thank you, Ahmed. Uh, and I know I've brought this up a lot lately. Ahmed, um, you know, he lost his father, uh, like, last week. And uh, mm. he's been coming in here in the chats, like, pretty much every day. So, dude, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that this provides you some sort of just kind of place to come and chill. You know, like, you know, no one feels like to lose a parent. I talked about it at the beginning of the show. Like, I mean... I'm, I'm glad you can come here and you just hang out and kind of take your mind off stuff. Um, he says the Rhodes family were kind of a father figure to Lee, and that was kind of, and that kind of touched me. But overall, such a good show, and thanks for the podcast that I'm just watching. Um, well, I don't know why you said hashtag sorry in there. I don't. You have nothing to apologize for. I'm not sure what you're saying sorry about, but it's funny because me and Brad Rash we just talking about the Rhodes family before we went live. And um, I don't know if you want to. I'll, I'll let you take that first, Brad. Uh, basically, he says it was. He thought it was great because uh, the Rhodes family are kind of like a father figure to Lee Johnson, and we'll be talking about you know Lee Johnson's match here um, in a minute. But you know, how do you kind of feel about that? Yeah, the Rhodes family. Uh, I I just have always sort of connected with them, starting from Dusty all the way up. Uh, you know, I, I am almost 40, so I have a, a long history of watching wrestling. And when all of my friends were into the Ultimate Warriors, the Hulk Hogan's, the Randy Savages, I was into Dusty Rhodes because he was the most real, straightforward guy. He was the kind of guy you could see yourself just wanting to hang out with and just absorb as much as you could from him. And, uh, you know, it, it, even his music in the WWE hit me with the, you know, just a common man, because that's why I love. And all my friends would ask me, why are you into that guy? Why you like the polka dots guy? I'm like, there's so much more than polka dots. Watch him. And I, you know, that's all I can really say is Dusty Rhodes is absolutely the best. And the Rhodes family, uh, getting to see them come up and see where everybody went. Uh, you know, Dustin had his demons. He conquered them and he is even better than before you can't say enough about them and Cody's journey. I'm going to gush like a little marked out fanboy if I keep going, but uh, they're definitely a family that is to me, the true Royal family of wrestling. Yeah. And you know, I was talking, me and Brad talk. It's just funny how the Rose family came up during this. Cause we were literally talking about Dusty and Cody and, you know, something that most people know about me. If you listen you know, to my podcasts and stuff, I went to high school with Cody, so I have like a really interesting perspective on his career. And um, the the main thing that I'll say, it's something that I've never really talked about live, but I just happened to tell Brad before this, so he'll be hearing it for the second time today. But um, something that I think people should know about Dusty Rhodes and that Rhodes family is Dusty Rhodes was a massive star in the area that I lived because I lived, you know, in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, suburbs, Marietta, whatever you want to call it, it you know. Everybody knew who Dusty Rhodes was. He was an absolute legend when I was in high school and Cody was in high school as well. And Dusty would be there at our wrestling matches, grilling hot dogs in concessions, pulling uh, tickets at the front door for like the parents coming in. He was involved like as a parent and he never acted above anybody. He wasn't like, and everybody knew who he was. People would come up and ask for his autograph at the shows. People knew his son was Cody and like Cody was this incredible amateur wrestler and stuff. So it was like 
I just want people to know that about Dusty Rhodes. Like, this guy, what he acted just like anyone else's parents who just want to, like, have, just want to be a part of their kids' lives. You know what I mean? And it's one of those things, too, Absolutely. where you could also tell, I've heard him talk about it, where, because he wasn't there for Dustin. Like, it was, like, a totally different scenario with Dustin growing up. Um, so he wanted to make sure that he kind of a second chance with Cody, he tried to be the best dad he possibly could. And, um, and I got to see that firsthand, uh, luckily. So. And, uh, the night that he passed away, uh, that we lost the dream, uh, actually there was an NXT house show here in Pittsburgh and, you know, we all got the news earlier in the day that the dream had passed. Uh, we were all sort of hoping that, you know, he'd be fine, but, you know, he wasn't. So uh, me and my friends, I remember we were across the street at Jerome Bettis' bar, uh, you know, getting a meal before the show. And we all took a shot of the finest Tennessee whiskey known as Jack Daniels that we could in honor of the dream. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I still, every time I see that Jack Daniels bottle, there's a little bit of me that will always think of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. There you go. And, uh, and Ahmed, you know, that connection with Lee Johnson, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, Lee Johnson here in a little bit, because obviously he had the match along with Cody with the nightmare family. So we'll get, we'll talk about that. Um, when we get to that here, Ryan Romano in the chat, what's up, Ryan? It's been a minute. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or anything, let us know. Um, and we're kind of getting back to this. Any, any other thoughts kind of on the whole forbidden door concept and what's going on here with all the companies, you know, it looks like the floodgates are open, man. I'd. How about we save this for the end of the show? Sure. Because I think that really sort of hit me in the head uh, really hard during the main event. Yes. Yeah, you know, not to spoil it or anything, but uh, that's that's my course of thought. Is I think that'd be a good way to wrap up this show. Sounds good. I'm down for that. So after uh, that, just you know, we had a promo from Moxley. Uh, feel free to let me know if you have anything in your notes while I kind of breeze through a couple of these things. Um, MJF talking to the inner circle. Uh, basically, what's been happening here for the last few weeks is uh, like MJF's been trying to get the inner circle alone, basically like without Jericho to talk to them and like without Sammy around to talk to them and stuff like that. So, and you know, during the show, we will talk about, you know, Sammy does leave the inner circle. So we'll talk about that, but it's like, this is kind of this segment here is just building more and more towards Sammy and is he going to leave the inner circle or not, which we do get that answer. Um, now this segment sets up for a little later where, uh, you know, MJF comes out with the ribs wrap, yes. but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he went a little lower when he hit uh, MJF. I thought he got him right in the old mailbox. Yeah. I saw people on, uh, on Twitter. A lot of people were saying that, so I'm really not sure. And I guess I'd have to rewatch it, but I did. You're not alone with thinking that. Okay. Cause it looked like he was trying to use the old bean bag for a speed bag. So uh, <laughs> he gave him a good shot. So it's uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's all my dick humor for the night. I promise. Oh, you can feel free, man. <laughs> Talk as much dick humor, humor as you want. <laughs> um, um, we talked about it just a second ago, but you know, this actual match we had, Cody Rhodes teaming with Lee Johnson to take on pretty Peter Avalon and Cesar Bononi. Um, it's cool seeing Lee Johnson as a part of the Nightmare family. Uh, he's a guy who I got to see really briefly in like the Nashville and 
I definitely saw him in Nashville at Southern Underground Pro. I might have seen him at Action Wrestling in in Atlanta, but or I know he was definitely advertised to wrestle there, but that was pre-COVID, so I can't remember if he actually wound up working there. Point is, he was on my radar. He was really new, and then before I knew it, he was with AEW, like or at least training with uh, the Nightmare Family. So he's this guy who's you know super talented, already moving on up, you know, in the wrestling world very quickly, associated with uh, the, the Nightmare Family. And on the other side, you have Peter Avalon, who's essentially an AEW jobber, but I you know. But he does what he does well. And Cesar Bononi, who... This this dude was in NXT, right? Like, he looks really familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was there for Cesar a while. Cesar Bononi was... He was a guy that was in NXT for a very, very long time. I believe at one point he was with Tino Sabatelli. I might be wrong on that. Yeah, okay. Uh, but he was somebody that just seemed to have everything but charisma. And, you know, his personality was just like a sponge. And it just, he just sort of sat there and eh, he was there. He was a good body. I mean, he was a good and. So hopefully he can discover who he is in AEW and, uh, you know, put a little bit of personality behind himself. Yeah. You're totally right about that. Like, and that's how I feel about, <clears throat> I feel about that a lot of the time. I shouldn't say a lot of the time, but every now and then, this is a whole other thing. We don't have to get that into it, but I know you're, you know, a big viewer of NXT and I was a huge, I mean, I watch all the takeovers, but I used to watch every, sure. I watched every single NXT up until AEW started. And then now I dual screen them, but like my focus is on AEW and like, I kind of look over at NXT depending on what's going on. For instance, when Kurt Stalin wrestled Santos Escobar, I was watching NXT. Like I was, I really wanted to see that match for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's Chris Stallings, another one of those indie guys that I just have been behind and just want to see him succeed kind of thing. Um, and um, I can't remember what I was going to say now about NXT, though. Oh, yeah, so so with the uh, with the way that it's set up right now, it's interesting because there are a handful of guys like Cesar Bononi that I consider to be more like PC guys, like Performance Center guys. And then you have like what NXT actually is, now which in my opinion is basically a super indie similar to AEW. it's like you're getting the best indie talent that are already over that already know what they're doing and you're just putting them on tv in front of more people um but then you have this other kind of level of guys like cesar bononi like someone maybe like a laura sullivan uh someone who back in the day would have been like a snitsky or a heidenreich something like that where like there's a lot of pieces missing like there's stuff there but some stuff is missing and i don't you know it's you know what I'm saying? Like Caesar kind of feels like he's in, in that boat with me. Yeah, it's he's sort of where Austin Theory is, in my opinion. Uh, Austin Theory is good enough. He's good. He's learning. He's picking up more and more. But uh, yeah, NXT to me is sort of like ROH with super high production value, if that makes it sense. Uh, yeah. They've got great matches. But they've also got the WWE production and machine behind it. So you get the stories a little bit more. I I, I love Ring of Honor. I really do. I'm I'm basically ringside whenever they come to Pittsburgh. But, you know, if they had the stories and production value, I think they'd be right up there with NXT. So NXT is like a good Ring of Honor, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it, though. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, NXT was definitely heavily influenced by what Ring of Honor was doing before NXT was a thing, for sure. Um, Absolutely. 
as far as this match, Brad, would you, uh, what do you, what did you think about this? How did you think the match was? And what do you think about kind of that, kind of the interesting twist where, you know, Lee Johnson is the one to get the, the victory for his team. I think that's the thing. Lee Johnson was definitely the spotlight of this. Uh, they're definitely letting Cody use his platform to push him forward. Uh, I'll be honest, I know nothing about Lee Johnson, and the first thing I learned about him was that apparently he had an 0-29 streak before this match in AEW. Uh, So in AEW, he was on a losing streak, and this is his first big win. That's the great groundwork for a story. You're looking underdog. People love underdogs. If you want to get a guy over, make him an underdog, give him a good story, and Put him with Cody, and you've got you've got gold. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the pairing is really smart, like because Cody's going to do this with Lee Johnson. He's going to do it with I can't think of the dude's name, that gigantic guy who wrestled Moxley a couple weeks ago with like the the big hair. Oh, he looked like the Berserker without a Viking helmet. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That that's what I'm it, talking he's about. He's from Philadelphia. Um, it's like come. It, it, Kamano, Kam, Kam, it, it's like C, C-A something, I want to say. I, uh, someone in the chat might know. Kamano. Yeah, we're really uh, proving. <laughs> I'm proving why I'm on the worst wrestling podcast. But uh... <laughs> I, I, I can't think of his name either. But I, but he's in the night, Nightmare family now as well. So I could see him potentially having a, you know, a match where he teams with Cody or something or him and Dustin or something. Like, they can use this to help build brand new people, which I think is really smart. And it's a cool thing that they're doing. Uh, to kind of give those other people the rub, and with uh, with Lee, Absolutely. with Lee Johnson, um, it's um, just so you know, he was actually M- MJF's. He was on MJF's like little cabinet when MJF was campaigning to wrestle Moxley on AEW. Like that's where Lee Johnson kind of started on AEW. Was like MJF's. Oh, okay. MJF's kind of like he was like a background character, but that's just kind of how he started, and then. Uh, and you bringing up his losing streak, I think is that's one of the reasons that I think AEW Dark is so great, is because when because AEW is so focused on like records and rankings and stuff, which I think is a good thing, um, like to make it more kind of a sports feel. And AEW Dark is a great way to have people like either on winning streaks or losing streaks or whatever it is to where. You know, you see them on Dynamite, and you might see them lose every time they're on Dynamite. Someone like Peter Avalon, for instance. Like, every time you see him on a Wednesday night, he loses. But his record will be, like, 5-30 and 30 or something. And it's like, but so he isn't, like, he beats some people, so he's, like, good enough to be around because he's getting wins. And if you go watch Dynamite, you can see him win. Like, you know, so it's like, it gives you this other spot to where... Even if you're a total jobber on the show, it kind of almost justifies you being around still. Because if you were losing every single match all the time, AEW would you'd be zero and fifty or whatever, and they'd just they'll cut you if it was a real sport. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I was trying to look up that guy that AEW just signed from Philadelphia, but uh, didn't find him. So I'm just going to continue with our conversation. But yeah. Uh, AEW Dark, I don't watch it. I should. Uh, but, yeah, I feel like while I'm watching Dynamite, there's a lot that they allude to that I feel like, yeah, this is going to enhance it. But the nice thing is I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Right. Uh, you know, they they run the scroller across the bottom, and unfortunately uh, that's what time allows me to have with AEW Dark. So, uh, yeah, that, that 
story, though, it's it's cool going in and actually getting to hear that as somebody who just watches Dynamite and getting to see, uh, you know, that because instantly I felt a connection to Lee Johnson when they put that out there. I thought, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, everybody's been on a losing streak in their life. And I know how it feels to come out when he said that he doesn't have the words, you know, that that really hits you. And it's like, man, this you you're just pulling for this guy. This guy's got it. Yes. Good stuff. What happened after that? Absolutely. We had we got the Bucks. Young Bucks interview. Um, oh yeah, it was Young Bucks and the Good Brothers. So basically, I mean, it's how do you feel? I'll ask you first. Like, how do you kind of feel about this story, Brad? How we have, you know, the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers clearly not on the same page. They want to all be friends, but like the good brothers are kind of siding with Callus and Omega and the young bucks, like don't trust Callus and kind of the dynamic here. And then you have like the bullet club and we'll talk more of this in the main event because you know, Kent is in the bullet club and so are they. And then like, it's like a lot's going on with this. How do you feel about kind of the dynamic between the young bucks and the good brothers right now? It's the dynamic between them. I think is, is, kind of cool because obviously the good brothers are being the thick-headed heels that just don't get it they don't understand that the young bucks are sort of like well you're the cousin that comes to the party that we're sort of embarrassed we're related to so we'll talk to you but that's about as far as we want it to go and uh you know the good brothers just aren't getting it and they think that you know where where we used to be which is back in new japan and uh you know, throwing up two sweets and wearing the Bullet Club shirts. That's not where they're at. So, I mean, it sets up a good little uh, a good little story there. One thing that they said that I thought was really interesting, the Bucks wanted to win the Battle Royal from the week before so they could actually set Bucks versus the Good Brothers as the tag team title match at Revolution instead of ending up with Jericho and MJF, which, you know, that... As a fan, that intrigues me more than Jericho and MJF. Jericho and MJF will always be there. And frankly, I want to see more with uh, Jericho, MJF, and Sammy at Revolution than I want to see those two going for the tag team titles. Yeah, I think that that's just a... My my personal thought, kind of opinion on it is we will definitely get the Young, the young Bucks versus the Good Brothers. I think they're just going to build it a little longer. So... Because I don't see Jericho and MJF beating the Young Bucks for the titles. I think that's just kind of something for that's something for the Young Bucks to do with like legitimate challengers. But it also is going to further MJF and Jericho and whatever their story is going to be going forward. So that's kind of how I see that for Revolution. But like I think obviously they'd be dropping the ball big time if they just didn't do Young Bucks and the Good Brothers at all at some point. But I feel like it's got to be coming just later on. Yeah, I, I do think that that's going to be one of those matches that uh, once it happens, it's sort of it's not quite at the level of when the Young Bucks and FTR got together, but I think it's going to be one of those ones that we talk about for a little bit, and is going to be sort of a benchmark type of match. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it when it happens. Also, like that's that'll be a lot of fun. Um, how do you? I can't remember. Were you one of the people that didn't? You you were getting Tyler Gallows in his whole shtick. Was that a, a little bit? Yeah. yeah. It's it's sort of a. If he could ratchet it back about three notches, I think I'd be a lot better with it. Yeah, I know you're not alone there either. Like I have 
like once again, I had a buddy come over last night to watch AEW. It was the same kind of thing because we actually will watch BTE before we have like this whole like system worked out now where he comes over, get food, and then we uh, watch BTE and then MLW and then Dynamite like back to back to back. So like during while while we're watching Being the Elite, he's always like he's just like over the gallows thing. He just like it's just too much and then on the show itself they kind of pull it back a little bit so it's not as bad but if you mm-hmm. i don't know if you watch being the elite uh regular basis or not but they're like that's like that's all they talk about on being the elite like yeah i i don't watch it regularly but yeah i think gallows on there it's <laughs> it's a bit much but i think here's the thing they're seen as the guys who got away from the big evil WWE main roster yeah. machine. And I think that, uh, you know, they want to be heels and the only way you're going to be a heel in a setup like AEW is that if you're going to be an obnoxious son of a bitch that gives people reason to hate them. And who's more hateable than the annoying guy. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, actually- I mean, cause when I saw them come out, the first time i was like yes and then they started talking i was like no 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 <laughs> oh after that we had a dasha talking to adam hangman page he was in a bar um how did this all go am i missing anything here so ba- basically a lot of this is based around matt hardy and hangman page matt hardy wants hangman to be his tag team partner he's been kind of courting him lately um, Matt really doesn't like how the Dark Order has also been courting Hangman Page. And the kind of the big twist here and the big reason for this segment is Hangman... Matt Hardy's trying to get Hangman Page to sign a contract. He gets Hangman really drunk and thinks he's going to be able to take advantage of him. Here, sign this, buddy. Like, let's make this happen. Matt Hardy looks to the camera and he's like, hey... Y'all are watching this. He, this is a legal, like no, a legal thing happening right now. He totally agreed to it. Blah blah blah. And as he's doing that, Hangman Page whips out a contract of his own, signs whatever he'd put together. Matt Hardy also signs that, and then, uh, yeah. So we're gonna find out soon what they just signed, and 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 Hangman is now taking advantage of Matt Hardy with Matt without Matt Hardy knowing. It's kind of fun to watch that dynamic of you know everybody thinks that hangman's sort of the drunk you know whiskey toting you know as his t-shirt says anxious millennial cowboy i love hangman i really do uh and i'm glad that he's getting some story time and uh to put him with with one of the best in matt hardy it's going to be good to see hardy also sort of be turned around in that obnoxious heel and I really, really hope that we get to see a Hangman Hardy match uh, at some point. And it's looking like we're setting up for that. So hopefully we get to see that because I think that, you know, Hardy's moving a little slower. He's a little more on the the downslide. And it hurts me to say that because I adore Matt Hardy. But I think Hangman could, you know, carry him through a match and they could put on a classic with the psychology, the story, everything. I think we're setting up for something good and uh, just seeing the old switcheroo and Rooney with its contracts could be pretty cool. Yes. I agree with everything you said. Um, and I, I think Hangman and Hardy will be a good match whenever it happens. And I honestly think like 
it's it's weird because like the whole Matt Hardy thing just didn't go the way it should have with the the broken Matt Hardy coming back and because there was no fans like it just didn't that that really really hurt what I think they were trying to do with him when he came into AEW was not having fans and Absolutely. you know it hurts everybody obviously but a character where like you're expecting the whole crowd to be doing delete 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 and like you're like all these all these magic tricks you're planning to play and you know, in front of like it's it just then him not having fans really hurt and but now in all honesty outside of all the broken universe stuff this is the most interested i've been in matt hardy in a long time like this current character he has where he's got his hand in all these different cookie jars he's he's managing private party and he's like trying to kind of take advantage of them he's trying to get involved with hangman page He's still got his hands uh, kind of uh, involved over there with the Young Bucks because over on Being the Elite, he's still kind of scamming them here and there on, on BTE. So Hardy is kind of involved all over the place, but he also has this yeah. wild like split personality type thing where you never really know exactly what kind of Matt Hardy you're going to get or what his prerogative is. So I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, he's like broken Matt Hardy meets the Wolf of Wall Street yeah, Matt Hardy. Yeah. And it's really kind of cool to see him be, you know, kind of a slime ball, for a lack of better words, and uh, doing his thing. And, uh, you know, his comeuppance is coming, and I can't wait to see it. Yes. It's going to be good stuff. Maybe we get that even at Revolution, maybe? Like, maybe that's what they're building towards? Revolution? Maybe Revolution? I mean, Revolution's already setting up to be a pretty stacked card. Yeah. And I think... AEW has a sense of giving things time. So if we need more time to tell this Hardy uh, and Hangman story, I think we're going to get that. Yeah, and that's something I love about AEW, the long-term storytelling. Uh, it's one of those things where I don't really question too many of their decisions as they're happening because I just have faith that they, like the end game, like the, the moral of the story at the end of whatever story I'm watching like they have planned it out and the payoff is going to be good. So like, I don't with like the WWE, for instance, like I, I wish I was still like that, but a lot of the time I see stuff happen and it just doesn't make any sense. And then like something even worse, and then it leads to like some payoff I don't care about. And then no matter what happens, they wind up wrestling again. And then like the other person wins. So now nothing even got accomplished. And so it's like, that's how I feel when I watch a lot of like raw, for instance, I watch AEW. Yeah, Raw is definitely tough. And then I, right, and then I watch AEW, and like they might make some questionable decisions here or there, but I'm like, uh, but in like a month, two months, six months, a year from now, that might have made a lot of sense what we just saw. You know, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of AEW characters, or not a lot, but there's some that like you don't know that they're heels. Like there's like there's baby faces that are actually heels right now on the show, like that are doing things right now that are that are actually going to set up things that you know a few months from now you're going to look back and go oh, okay like ftr was actually the baby faces the whole time against the young bucks like look at what's happening now and like you know just like little things like that you know absolutely and i mean there's yeah like kenny omega was kind of a, a heel the whole yes. way I, I think and uh you know now that he's turned on the cleaner again you're getting the full on so and like you're seeing that uh pack is actually really sort of the good guy in this whole thing, even though he acts like his bastard character. He's not wrong. Yes. I, yeah, I love all those dynamics. And speaking of Pac, you just brought up, he had a, a match against Dolph Ziggler's brother, Ryan Nemeth. I think that's how you pronounce it, Nemeth. Um, Ziggler-like. Yeah, he 
he if you didn't know he was Dolph Ziggler's brother uh, and then you saw him in a wrestling ring wearing the gear he wears and looking the way he looks, you'd know he was Ziggler's brother without having to ask anybody, right? Oh, absolutely. All you need is the, the neon graphics behind him and, uh, you know, some crappy butt rock and you have AEW's Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. he is one butt rock song away <laughs> from being Dolph Ziggler light. Yeah, very true. It's funny because it's, you know, it just is so true. It, it's That's one of the things about AEW that is, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but it is interesting with who it's going to work for and who it isn't, kind of being the next someone or other. Like, like you know, yeah. Austin Gunn is clearly, like, it's just, it's Billy Gunn. Like, they're trying to make a new Billy Gunn with Austin Gunn. Like, um, mm-hmm. Brian Pillman Jr. is, he's, very, he looks like Brian Pillman. He wrestles like Brian Pillman. I mean, they're trying to make the next Brian Pillman with Brian Pillman Jr. Um, Dolph Ziggler's brother, Ryan Nemeth, looks looks just like Dolph Ziggler, wrestles like Dolph Ziggler, wears the same kind of ring gear as Dolph Ziggler. Like, so will it work for him? I don't know. Will it work for the others? I don't know. Um, but what does work for me is Pac. Like, that guy's amazing. I think everyone's in agreement that, like, amazing wrestler – uh, is always going to be kind of in like the world title mix to some degree, like a upper level guy with AEW. Um, and I thought he should have made quicker work of uh, Nemeth personally. I think he should have just kind of squashed him. I think Nemeth got a little more in than I probably would have liked to see. But what did you think about this match, Brad? It's true. I think, well, to get back to the, the Dolph Ziggler-Nemeth comparisons, uh, you're familiar with Yingling Beer, yes, right? Yes, of course. So... Dolph Ziggler is like your Yingling Lager. It's it's all everything you expect it to be. Ryan Nemeth is like Yingling Flight. It's there. It does the job. It, it's still pretty good, but you still prefer Yingling Lager over a Yingling Flight. So that's sort of my comparison uh, to stick with the Hangman Page angle of everything. It's a good comparison. But, I, I, uh, I actually, no joke, I have Yingling in my fridge right now, so I love that comparison. Yeah, I have some of them in there now, too, as well. But, uh, yeah, it's I, I honestly think seeing Pac just being taken off of his leash, when he was trying to be a bad guy in WWE, you saw little hints of it, but to see what he can do fully on the scale that he's doing it is perfect. I think that he's going to be, uh, you know, one of those utility players that can always jump into the title picture whenever they need it whether it's for TNT, whether it's for the heavyweight, whatever. And he's believable because, my God, can that guy go? I mean, he's he's incredible. I mean, seeing the Black Arrow to end that match, uh, how he did the Black Arrow into his uh, submission hold, whew, that was, that was a hell of a sequence. And honestly, every time he's out and does that, that's one of my favorite sequences is watching the Black Arrow into his uh, submission. Yeah, and they've done a great job getting that submission over. I can't remember what they call it. It's like a Rings of Saturn. Almost. It's very similar, like a Rings of Saturn. Yeah. I just can't think of what, what they call it either for some reason. But, you know, he made Kenny Omega pass out in that um, towards the beginning of when AEW started. And, yeah. you know, and, and and I think that, see, that's another great thing about kind of how things have worked out is, like, Kenny Omega being the champion he has like if he ran it back against moxley like it all makes sense because moxley was a longtime champion who did great work and the rivalry's already there 
If you have him running back with Pack, you already have that backstory. In just a year, we have all these little backstories and, and things to where if Pack wrestled Omega for the title, you could easily promote the hell out of that just based off their, their previous matches. And it's like, well, now the stakes are even higher because the world title's on the line. Absolutely. And they, they you feel like they're backwards booking, which is the way you hear all the greats that you should do. You start with your conclusion, work back, and, you know, it sets you up like they're set up now. So, uh, yeah, I do agree, though, Neville. Neville, I'm sorry. Uh, Pac should have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know I'm, I'm talking about how he was bad in uh, WWE, but, yeah, uh, Pac, he should have made quicker work of uh, Ryan Nemeth. And, uh, but I'm glad to see him get to showcase, and he really reminded you why he is where he is and who he is in that company. Yes. Good stuff there. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, we don't need to talk about the wedding at all. Um, nope, they're hitched. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, let's see. We had... Oh, so this is the segment where... Does Sammy, Sammy quit at, right after this match? Yeah, that's what happened. Okay. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. This match, I'll, I'll bring us in on this one. We got uh, Jericho and MJF against the Acclaimed. And, you know, to the detriment of the Acclaimed, the whole point of this match was to get to the uh, this end where, you know, we saw the uh, Sammy Guevara split. Uh, the Acclaimed, I don't get them. They're not my cup of tea. Hell of a, or hell of a couple athletes. They do a great job in the ring. I guess the the battle rap stuff just goes over my country bumpkin head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here listening to George Strait and Willie Nelson, and they come out doing the rap thing. That's fine. Each their own. Just not my cup of tea. Sure. I actually really like them. Um, I think that they're, you know, one, I'll say something I really, really liked about this match, and it was such a little thing is these were two heel tag teams and they both tried to cheat against each other. Like it wasn't like one team was like a baby face and it was literally like they were like uh, the acclaimed uh, used the, uh, the boom box at one point to try to get the win. And that was when like uh, the inner circle was like, you know, distracting the ref and doing their own ways of trying to cheat. So I, I liked that a lot that the two t- heel tag teams just stuck to what they were. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this was a, uh, a nice, crisp, quick match. Uh, honestly, what Pack and Ryan Nemeth should have been was about as quick as this. I mean, it was, what, five, ten-minute match. It wasn't long by any means. Uh, but, you know, to get that going with the inner circle at the end, you sort of knew something was up because Sammy hasn't been coming around. And, uh, you know, obviously the earlier segment. But as soon as Sammy's uh, solo music hit, you knew something was coming. You knew something big was going to happen. Yes. And so let's, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit now as well. I mean, Sammy comes out, he quits the inner circle. Uh, MJF is visibly very happy about this. He's, he's getting what he's wanted all along, which was clearly to get Sammy out of the group. Um, and I personally speaking, I think the reason, and I want your opinion on this. And if you have any um, of your own thoughts or, or where you see this going, just kind of my way I see this kind of playing out and kind of the line of thinking with it is 
Sammy, like MJF wants Sammy out of the group because Sammy and Jericho are pretty tight, and like they were a tag team part, yeah. they were a tag team before, and and you can tell Sam, Jericho actually really cares about Sammy. So this was just step one in MJF trying to get Jericho also out of this group. Like I think MJF eventually, I think the ultimate end game kind of here is MJF versus Jericho. But at that point, Jericho is a baby face. MJF has stolen the inner circle from him. And Sammy is kind of like an ally of Jericho's and starts kind of his own singles run up the ladder, but is kind of associated with Jericho. Eventually Jericho and Sammy will have a, a big match at some point down the line. But I think they're going to be kind of like the two guys that, like the inner circle basically turns on those two. And the two of them are still, not a tag team, but still kind of aligned to a degree. Kind of how like Darby Allen and Moxley are. Like they're always kind of going to be, they're not partners, but like they have each other's backs when they need it. See, I see it as the inner circle prints money. I mean, they are top selling t-shirts, top selling gear. They print money for that company. So what I think, I think this is, I don't think we're going to see a split at Revolution by any means. I think this is going to be a very much longer one uh, that I can honestly see them trickling off one by one and then sort of regrouping. Like, for example, Hager and Wardlow have this thing going on. So I could see Jake Hager being the next one to leave the inner circle and then meeting up with Sammy. And then you get Hager and you get Sammy Hager, uh, back together again since they set themselves up as a tag team last week i think that you're going to see a trickle all the way down till it's just mjf wardlow and santana ortiz and maybe jericho and then once santana ortiz go that's when Jericho's gonna you know do the turn and go i think we're going to turn the entire inner circle baby face is what it comes down to so everyone outside uh, of mjf basically yeah, so it's going to be basically you see everybody turning. Eventually, they're all going to be turning, looking directly at uh, MJF and Wardlow. And honestly, I'm hoping this is a way that they use to get Wardlow out on his own because Wardlow is a beast. That man should be just carrying through everybody, leaving a trail of bodies, and just taking all the gold. If you hot rocketed him right up to the title scene, I'm in. I'm totally in. Wardlow is absolutely the man. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that it's a way to get everybody turned babyface, and then, you know, maybe we'll see some of the factions like, you know, the Death Triangle really turn up that heel heat and go that way. I like all those scenarios. Those are all really... I'm with you on all that, too. Like, the, the good thing is there's a lot of really... There's a lot of different directions they can go in with this entire inner circle and there's a, but there's a lot of really good options there, you know, like, so like, absolutely. and, and I, and I'm with you too. Cause that is one of those things where like thinking long-term cause obviously like long-term we're going to get Jericho versus MJF. Like, cause that's clearly like, that's clearly where this, the big, something big is going to happen between the two of them. But then even farther along is the turn of Wardlow against MJF. Like, that's going to happen also at some point down the line because that's going to be its own thing, I think. Like, what I what I would like to see long-term, potentially, and this is thinking pretty long-term, but, like, at some point, a lot of things would have to happen for this exact scenario, but I think, like, the big long-term story for Hangman Page is to be the one to beat Kenny Omega for the AEW title. Like, but that won't be until, like... Yep. 
early next year, end of this year. I mean, we're talking like at least a year out kind of stuff. Once mm-hmm. once Hangman's the champion, I could see MJF being the one to beat him for that title. Because I think they are going to go all the way with MJF sooner than later. Because like with his age and what and how good he is and how just how good he is on the mic, I really feel like at some point MJF will be the AEW champion in, within the next year or two. And, oh, I agree. and when that happens, that's the perfect way to flip Wardlow is like, like, I'm not taking this guy shit anymore. Like I'm better than this guy. Or maybe Wardlow beats Hangman for the belt and MJF gets jealous about it. I mean, something like that. But I think Hangman beating Omega eventually is going to be that catalyst to like the next generation of title challengers where then we're going to start seeing more of like MJF, Jungle Boy, Guevara, Darby, those kind of guys. Like when Hangman's the champion, those other guys are going to start elevating as like his challengers. It's just kind of how I, just kind of like the gut feeling I get about it. See, I think go, looking back and sort of jumping back towards my theory and the little things that AEW does so right, last week's Tag Team Battle Royal, if you look at it, you had six members of the inner circle in that thing. You had Sammy and Hager. You had Santana Ortiz, you had MJF and Jericho. When do you see that much of a faction take on one battle royal like that? I mean, and then, you know, with Jericho eliminating Santana Ortiz, I mean, just there's so many ways that like so many little seeds that they planted throughout that entire thing that could set up so many ways for this inner circle of drama to go and just build and you know, I think it's just going to have such a great impact and we're going to see so, so much storytelling coming out of this. I agree. So much good stuff. I mean, just look what it did for like Orange mm-hmm. Cassidy. Like he was like a guy that only like the indie guys, only like indie fans knew. And then he got big pops in AEW right off the bat. And the next thing you know, he's out there getting wins over Jericho. And now he's like a major star in the company. I mean, there's you never know what these little feuds can do with the right people, you know? Absolutely. Um, And, you know, we saw basically just kind of to close it out with Guevara, he wound up, you know, leaving the the arena. He talks to Marvez, walks out of the arena, and basically says it might be a minute before we see him again. So Sammy looks like he's kind of walking away for a minute to kind of figure things out. So we'll see what happens when he comes back. Um, oh, so this was the part where we got the, the switcheroo for the, uh, for the, uh, contract. Sorry, I got that out of order there, but we, we already touched on that. Yeah, we were following Hangman style of, uh, you know, having a few Brewskis and figuring it out. So, (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, the one, the earlier segment must have been when, because I always, I also sometimes get blurred on what happened on Being the Elite and what happened on Dynamite because I watched them both on Wednesdays. So this on dynamite wasn't it hangman walked past the dark order and like dark order is kind of like hitting on him basically like they're still like trying to get him yeah to, yeah because at, on... at the beginning what had happened is hardy invited uh hangman to the bar he wanted to you know talk and he said open bar tabs on me no big deal just come on out and uh as hardy left and as hangman was walking out you know you got uh the whole dark order sort of showing up and he's like "Ah, i'm just gonna go to the bar don't worry about it you know and sort of placated them yeah because on being the elite what happened this past week was 
all of the all of the Dark Order all make Valentines and give them all to Wardlow. Like they're all trying to have Wardlow be their Valentine. It's it's kind of funny how it's worked out because like at this point and I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way how I'm saying this, but like most of the stories going on in being the elite are all basically like gay storylines. Like it's like guys hitting on guys for like the entire show. It's kind of, it's kind of like odd how that's happened on being the elite. Like, cause that's what I think of because on being the elite, like literally the dark order is out there just hitting on Wardlow for the whole episode. And then like you watch sure. dynamite and they're like hitting on hangman page. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just funny how that's worked out that way. Well, you got you got to court them, man. That's what it is. They're just courting them, and uh, you know, with it being Valentine's Day week, man, might as well, uh, you know, put a little love on it. True, and I also will say, um, the Christmas episode of Being the Elite was one of my favorites they've ever done, and unfortunately, it came out, you know, pretty much right before Brody Lee passed away. But uh, the the actual episode mm. is it's a Christmas episode, and it's pretty much all about a lot of it's about the dark order and they have a whole song that's uh it's to the tune of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer but it's hey man the handsome cowboy and they're all just hitting on him the whole the whole, the whole song Fantastic. yeah <laughs> so nice. it's pretty funny i'm thoroughly i'm thoroughly entertained by the dark order and the stuff that they do with hangman page um absolutely yeah and then next uh you know this was this was kind of strange how this worked out we had Tony Schiavone interviewing Sting and, you know, Sting comes out and he's got the old school glacier snow going down and the whole deal. And he's talking to Tony Schiavone and all of a sudden we see team Taz up on the screen, up on the big screen. I don't know what, I always call it the Titan Tron, but definitely not with AEW. I don't know what they call that thing, but, uh, basically team Taz is dragging Darby Allen. They have Darby Allen trapped in a body bag and they are dragging him like across the parking lot in this body bag. And all I'll say about this before getting your thoughts is Darby Allen probably really enjoyed this. Like that guy's insane. So like he probably actually legitimately yeah. liked doing this, <laughs> but uh, how did, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. How did you feel uh, watching it, it, it? Left, it left me confused. I mean, you know, I know this is a blood feud and, uh, you know, but, you know, the thing with this feud is it's been all very believable. And this is the one thing that they've done with this feud where I'm just like, I'm having a hard time suspending belief or disbelief. And it's just like, okay, they're dragging them across the lot. I mean, great. Right. That's <laughs> it just. I, I just didn't think it was necessary. I think I would have gotten more out of it seeing them lay the beat down on Darby first that got him unconscious enough to pull him in the bag. And then if, you know, they did that after I saw the beat down, I think I would have been a little bit more for it. Like, uh, but otherwise it just was sort of, to me, just gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous when it came to the, the violence. Yeah. I'm with you. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and they rarely make me think, well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm usually down with everything they do, and this one left me scratching my head. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be interesting because, like, obviously, you know, the big thing coming up is is Darby and Sting versus uh, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. And we haven't really Sting, we haven't really seen Sting really do anything up to this point. 
Um, but like Darby's been the one kind of carrying it by, you know, him getting physically involved and stuff like that. But we really haven't seen much from Sting yet. Now, I've said this and you may have a different opinion and others may as well. Um, but, you know, I do think that, you know, if Sting can get cleared, like, why shouldn't he be allowed to go out and do this stuff? Like, if Daniel Bryan can do it, and Edge can do it, and Christian can do it, and all these people can can come back from injuries after all these years off, and Sting wants to give it a shot, especially considering, you know, what his WWE run looked like, I'm okay with him going in there and seeing what he can still do. But there still is, like, those big question marks. Is like, we just haven't really seen him do anything outside of come out, say a few things, and swing his bat around a little bit but you know it's kind of like what are we going to get at uh at revolution i really i really don't know yet for sure yeah and that's that's why I'm, that this is the one match that's kind of got me cringy at revolution uh because you don't know what thing's going to do he could just walk out and just you know pummel everybody with his bat and that's that and that's your match uh or you know darby could carry it and sting basically lays out on the the pavement i mean it's just uh it's just a weird situation because I do love Sting, but this this dragging Darby thing made him look like the you know I'll get you nasty little kids for bullying my boy and yeah you know, I, yeah I, I couldn't get this one yeah yeah I'm with you. Um, after that, we had the first round of so they're doing the women's title tournament like uh, the winner of this tournament is going to get a shot at the championship. And this round was legit Layla Hirsch versus Thunder Rosa. They basically have an AEW side of the bracket and they have a Japan side of the bracket. And the one thing that's a little strange about it is like Riho is on the, but I guess it's because she's like actually a part of AEW. So I guess that does make sense. But, yeah, she's fine. but that was a little strange where it's like, you have a full on Japanese tournament and then Riho's on the other side. It was like, I kind of want to see her wrestle all the other Japanese women. Cause I don't know, because I think it's kind of unique that you have, like, a, a Japanese tournament. You rarely really see that on a U.S. show. But um, but that all being said, I'm excited for the tournament. I thought this was a good opening round match. And, you know, I think le- legit Layla Hirsch is really talented. Uh, she's just very, very small. <laughs> you know, I, like, looking at her in the ring, yeah. she's very small. Thunder Rosa is, uh, is a great talent. And I think, you know, she's one of the, the best women's wrestlers in the world. And like I said, I like Layla Hirsch. It's just... You kind of have to get similar to Marco stunt. You got to see it for a minute and get used to it. I feel like, and then it starts clicking. But uh, or even John Silver. Yeah, that's a great example as well. The Meat Man. He's a very short guy. Yeah. Yep. Because she's built like a, a little Mack truck, yes. but she's just very compact. Yeah, and she's—I mean, her name legit <laughs> comes from you know she amateur wrestling and stuff. I mean, she's an athlete, and she and it shows in her matches. I mean, she's very athletic. I liked her out on the indies before she got signed with AEW. So, um, you know, I'm a fan. I thought this match was good. What did you think about this? And what do you think about, uh, you know, Thunder Rosa getting the win here and advancing? I think it was a very good hard-hitting match. I I really do. Uh, I just, I wish that we would see AEW focus more on their homegrown women. Uh, You know, they don't have the most solid women's division outside of Britt Baker uh, and you know their champion, which my goodness, I'm Sheeta. I'm Sheeta, yes. Uh, and you know Nyla Rose, they've got a, a pretty decent group, but they're they're just not getting the shine. They're just sort of in the background, and uh, 
you know, I think this is where AEW lacks. And by bringing in people from the other organizations uh, for this women's tournament, I think it only shines that light brighter on their weakness in their women's division. And it's a shame because, you know, uh, I, as an IWC uh, big time fan, seeing Britt Baker on this stage and seeing how great she's been, you know, that just, she should be getting a lot more time and uh, getting a lot more shine. And she's even one of the ones that's getting a lot of shine. Yeah. I know that AEW's women's division is definitely, it's definitely the most talked about as far as like negatives in the company, as far as them, not them not being spotlighted. Um, so I understand that. And I, and a lot of people feel that way. And I do too, to a degree. It's just, with the AW women's division for me, I honestly think it's a mixture of a lot of things. Like, you know, mm. the talent available, that's part of it. Cause like WWE, if you, one thing that I'll always say positively about the WWE's current product is if you look at Raw, SmackDown, NXT and NXT UK, there's a ton of amazing women's talent. Like they are stacked from top to bottom. Like they have so much women's talent. They don't know what to do with a lot of the women. Like they're so like, they're good to go. Um, Impact Wrestling has Jordan Grace and Gianna Perazzo, who I think are two of the best women in the world right now. Um, and then, you know, and Impact has other great women, Sue Young, and I think like Havoc and Nevaeh have done well, Tasha Steeles and Kira Hogan. I mean, they have good women over there. A lot of good, a lot of good uh, women over there in AEW, or in uh, Impact Wrestling. You look at AEW, though, I think they just didn't have like a giant like talent pool to really, because I think there is a difference in talent level when it when you look at like Charlotte Flair, Becky, Sasha, like Jordan Grace, Diana Prazo, and I think that there are some women like like I think Sheeta I can you know put up there you know kind of with those women, Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker. But then after that, like you're you're really in a process of building women's talent in AEW. Cause like you have to introduce the fans to like who is Chris Statlander and why should we care about her? Like, who is Layla Hirsch and why should we care about her? Who, you know, they, they don't have the, uh, the AEW women's division doesn't have the same uh, kind of luxury that the men the men did where they were able to sign Moxley and Jericho and these guys who were massive stars out before AEW ever started. Kenny Omega, who was like this international superstar, like all this stuff. I just think that's part of it with AEW. Like, I, don't, I think that AEW has every intention in the world of shining light on the women's division. I just don't think they have a gigantic talent pool to really pull from. But I but I think that that's where, like, their relationship with Impact Wrestling, I think, is going to be really beneficial to AEW when we start seeing women like Perrazzo, Jordan Grace, Sue Young. Like, when we see them working with AEW women, I think it's going to elevate all of them. Because, you know, just working with better talents, I think, is going to just make all of it better. But they're just kind of fighting a, kind of a they're just kind of fighting a different battle than like on the men's side is kind of how I feel about it. Agreed. Yeah. And you know, I think though that's where it falls on them to make them stars back in the few months that they actually had the luxury of a big crowd. You were seeing the Statlanders and the Bakers and the Nyla Roses getting the pops that they were hoping for. So it shows they have the ability to do it. I just hope that they, develop the confidence to keep it going yeah well and you know luckily for anyone out there that's you know that thinks that aw might not be i'm not saying you but like there's people who i think really believe like aw is just not even trying 
Do you really, like Kenny Omega is like in charge of the women's division. You really think Kenny Omega is not doing everything he possibly can to make that division as good as it possibly can be? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think I think the message is loud and clear to AEW about how people feel about the women's division. It's just just going to be a little bit of a process to to kind of get it to where they want it to be. But I think that I think their crossover with other talent is ultimately going to help them a lot. But I also see what you're saying. I also sure. see what you're saying though, Brad. Is like if the women's talent come in and they kind of outperform the women in AEW, and then they go away, that doesn't really accomplish anything. Exactly, and that's that's my fear with, like, Thunder Rosa. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Layla Hirsch go over on Thunder Rosa because nobody ex- would expect it. And, you know, Thunder Rosa is going to have her name no matter what she does, no matter where she goes. Layla Hirsch, though, outside of my notes, I probably won't remember to call her that. You know, I'll just remember that no, she lost to to Thunder Rosa, right? When also Serena Deeb, I didn't, I forgot to to mention. I think she's great as well, but of course NWA. Mm-hmm. So, um, there you go. That's a whole other conversation, though. Is like, what is going to really be happening with all that NWA talent if they because they're not they aren't running shows and they haven't for it's been a long time. So like, I don't know what they're how these contracts are going to work for them. Where like. You know, because like, for instance, a co- last year, I remember a story coming out about James Storm, who was under contract to NWA, but was going to be debuting in the WWE after WrestleMania last year. And they wound up, wound up canceling the plans ultimately because of the pandemic and they wanted the crowds there and they just it just didn't make sense to bring him in. And they wound up furloughing and firing a lot of people around that time. So he wound up not making the jump over. But the NWA did grant him his release so he could go sign with the WWE. So there's there's something in there to me where it's also like, I don't think that the NWA is going to get into a position where like they're not running shows. Um, there's nothing they can really do with the talent they have. And if the talent wants to sign somewhere else, the NWA is not going to really have anything that they can really fall back on outside of like, well, you signed this contract, but then like what how many of those battles do you want to fight? You know what I mean? With a company that's not even, that yeah. doesn't even run shows, you know? Well, the other thing is these are NWA's top women. Right. I mean, it's not like they're sending off like, you know, their lower mid carters. These are champions, contenders. These are the top of the top. And uh, if you do have like a Thunder Rosa wanting to sign with AEW full time, that's going to be a giant blow that, uh, you know, that'll smash anybody's pumpkins, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. For, for uh, those of you who don't know, Billy Corrigan, who lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins, is the guy who runs the National Wrestling Alliance. So that, I like that, man. You slid that in there. I didn't expect that. I do what I can. There you go. Um, and I am pulling for the NWA. You know, like they, they had a presence on a lot of those. Um, what do they call those? Those primetime live shows, UW, UWN primetime live shows they were doing. Like there was a lot of yeah, the studio. Yeah, yep, exactly. So I, I was getting uh, optimistic that NWA was going to be bringing back power uh, weekly or something, but it just it still hasn't hasn't happened. And and uh, once I know something, I'll try to let everybody know. Like you know, I live really close to where they tape their shows, so like I'll know if they're taping again, but. I have not heard anything lately um, about it. And one thing that really sucks about that is 
there's a lot of things that suck about what's what happened with the NWA and and I don't want to get into all that stuff and but well, something that does really suck as far as like their momentum is before the pandemic and before some of the things that happened that they're trying to rebuild from as a company the the studio tapings in Atlanta would sell out fast like like there were not a lot of seats but like the, they'd go on sale and they'd sell out that day uh, when the NWA went to Nashville, Tennessee, they did the the Nashville uh, Fairgrounds a, a couple years ago for NWA 70, the 70th anniversary show, uh, where uh, Cody lost the belt back to all this. Completely, completely mm-hmm. sold out the fairgrounds. So it's like there's they had some momentum going before all this, and they're gonna have to completely try to. The one, the last thing I'll say, and I know I'm rambling, but it's just it comes to it comes to mind is I still see NWA commercials on like all the YouTube videos I watch. So like they're still paying to promote the company on YouTube all over YouTube. So like there has to be plans to return, but I have heard nothing about it. It might be just a contractual thing where they signed an X amount of ads, True. but you know, let's not get into like the background of marketing and all that. I do that during the day <laughs> and don't need to do any more during the night. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, man, main event time. I thought this match was awesome. We had, it was great. Yeah, just a falls count anywhere. Just anything goes. No DQ. We had Omega and Kenta. Kenta's AW debut match, taking on John Moxley and Lance Archer. Um, give me your thoughts on this one, Brad. I'll let you go first on this. What did you think about this match? I thought it was great. It, it took you in areas that you don't commonly see. Like I was worried that it was going to be another case of we're going to go out in the concourse and uh you know not that anybody's getting run down with a golf cart but uh i thought it was gonna be like oh great we're gonna go see where they sell t-shirts again and all this but they took it into like the kitchen and to see you know mox hit somebody with a potato (laughs) that was fun (laughs) and to see uh archer you know use a a crate of potatoes as a weapon to break a, a submission hole that was great uh you saw a lot of different stuff that you don't don't normally see like uh kenta's giant uh flying stomp off the stage onto the uh table yeah. i mean it the he did and the, I, yeah i'm stuttering over my own words he did look just like the announcer said he looked like a lightning bolt shooting out of the sky he just flew right in nailed it and it was one of the few times i absolutely cringed and grabbed my own chest because that looked brutal yeah. and it was great. Uh, I think that it was a really good match up until the end when the good brothers came out and sort of turned it into a, uh, you know, the, the more stereotypical end of a match. I would have liked to have seen, you know, one of them just go over whether they, you know, knock somebody out or, you know, some kind of wishy-washy finish that way. Uh, that's, that's my main grievance with it is I wanted to see a, an actual like end of the match. Right. Cause it did kind of become like a handicap match towards the end where there was way more people on one side than the other. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm with you there. Um, as far as I'm with you with everything though, that you said, I mean, the match itself I thought was great. Um, there was just a ton of action, a ton of stuff going on. I think that they have done a great job. Uh, AEW, that is, has done a great job with Lance Archer. I really do. Like, he's he's a dude who I was... Like, I remember watching him back when he was Dallas. 
um, he was called Dallas and TNA, and then he was like Lance Hoyt, and he did like the whole uh, rock band thing with Jimmy Rave and all that stuff. Like, and and he and back then he was like kind of a lanky dude. He was always big, but he was like a more lanky dude who had like this gigantic tramp stamp tattoo, and like he didn't have all the other tattoos yet, and he just kind of looked off. Like it was like something just wasn't clicking about the guy. And now he looks like he was playing wrestler. Yes, exactly. And now you look at him and you're like, this dude can beat some ass. Like he looks like he, and it, and it takes, it takes both good brothers, Omega, Kenta. It takes everybody to keep him down. Like he took everybody's moves at the end of that match. Like, so it didn't really hurt him to take the pinfall. And it's kind of predictable because you, you don't really want to beat Moxley because you know, Moxley and Omega have got to have a rematch sometime soon. And, you also want Kenta and Moxley to both look strong going into their IWGP US title match. So I thought that I thought the actual result was fine, but I'm with you as far as like the the one thing I do like about the finish, on the contrary, with it being kind of a handicap thing, is that is the only way to keep Lance Archer down. Is like you needed all that help to keep that guy down. You know what I mean? Yeah, he looked he looked like his nickname of the uh Murderhawk Monster. I mean, he just definitely was, was killing it. And, uh, you know, I think he came out looking strong despite taking the pin. Uh, you know, I just would have rather have seen him just, uh, you know, go down without the Good Brothers being as involved. Maybe even if it was just like a trip up a distraction, I'd take a roll up with both Kenta and Omega being involved. Just something a little more, you know, clean. I guess I'm just like too old school though no, I'm, but uh I'm with you. no it, it was good i mean it was a solid match it was a solid end to uh the show i mean it was a good show the whole way through and it did consistently build and it was great yeah and and i'm i'm very much kind of a purist in that sense as well like i'm always gonna prefer a clean finish or even if there's like some like if the heel cheats to win or whatever like that's expected but you know all the run-ins and ref bumps and weapon shot, like all those extra shortcuts is usually where I'm like, damn it. They ruined the whole thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And this brings me sort of to the point that I've been pushing off to the end here is, you know, the company's opening that forbidden door. I mean, if you look at out of this match, you had just all the people involved. You had the good brothers, and you had Kenta compared to having, you know, three guys from AEW involved. So half the match was people from other companies. You had Thunder Rosa earlier against one of their own, and she went over. You're going to have Serena Deeb. And there's, I'm all for them working with other companies. I think that's great. I think that's the future of the business. But at what cost? My worry is they're putting too much focus on, you know, this Good Brothers, Kenta, Bullet Club, NWA thing that they're sort of leaving some of their own people behind. And, uh, you know, before I would say, well, maybe it's something to do with the pandemic. Well, no, Kenta came in for this. So it's not pandemic driven. This is just the light that they're choosing to take. And, you know, I just worry that it's going to be more of AEW's people losing out compared to the other people coming in. I mean, Impact is looking like a million bucks coming out of this. 
uh, NWA is looking like a million bucks. We haven't seen enough New Japan to make any money off of it, in my opinion. But what's AEW really grabbing out of this? Saying, oh, our talent can get beat by those other guys? I mean, that's that's just something I, I worry about in the long term with this. And I hope that they really sort of turn her around to have some of their guys start really whipping ass and coming out on top instead of, you know, they're not jobbing, but they're they're not winning really strong either. Sure, and I know that there's there's a lot of people that that have those concerns. I hear I hear all that a lot actually um, about people, especially because yeah. you, know, you know, not counting Dark, which you can't really count Dark on the same level because that's a YouTube only show, and only only so many people are going to watch that in comparison to how many people watch Dynamite and stuff. So realistically speaking, AW really has you know, two hours of like real primetime TV to, to put, to get, to get their stars over, to establish storylines, all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm looking at an even bigger picture though, where if, even if some people are kind of getting lost in the mix, like private party, for instance, they're lost in the mix on AEW, but over on impact, they're getting a world title shot. So like, they're still doing something important that the wrestling fans are seeing and I think that that there is going to be this big cross pollination that you're going to be getting because, like, for here's a, here's an actually probably an even better example that we haven't seen yet that I think like is a possibility. I think that it's totally possible that Ring of Honor gets in on this at some point, like just like how Impact has, how uh, NWA has, however you want to look at it. I think Ring of Honor has a chance of being in on this too. And people would say, what's the point of AEW doing that? Like, like who you know what can ring of honor really do for AEW? and on one hand i get that because it's like very few people watch ring of honor like if you're really i watch it every week because i review it for the weekender every weekend so like i'm keeping up with it but i know that the numbers have got to be pretty damn low of people who are keeping up with ring of honor on a, on a weekly basis right now and yeah but and in here's the thing though like if they associate it with AEW if they can work something out to where they get some of the AEW talent to also start showing up on Ring of Honor, that way more and more people are going to start watching Ring of Honor because they're like, hey, I heard Hangman's coming back to Ring of Honor for a match. Like, I got to watch Ring of Honor this week. Like, And then you'd go, well, then what? But then still, you're only helping Ring of Honor. But I would say, but who wouldn't want Jonathan Gresham on AEW TV? Who wouldn't want Roosh on AEW TV? Like, you know what I mean? Like, same with like MLW. It leads into it leads into dynamite. Like if you sent Kenny Omega to an episode of MLW and got all these extra people to watch MLW, but in return they get to use Jacob Fatu and Hammerstone and, and Leo Rush and you know what I mean? Like it's because my thing is even if some of the AW talent gets left behind, it it's worth it to me if the exchange is like you're getting these Leo Rushes and Jonathan Greshams and Jay Lethal's and like you're able to also have access to these guys and girls from these other companies because at a certain point, I think it's really going to be more so like WWE and everybody else. Like I think everyone else is getting to a point of figuring out how to, how to all work together and just put on the best. Imagine Brad, if like once a year we got a tournament to determine the true world champion, you took the impact champion, the, the, the AEW champion, the NJPW, the IWGP champion, the Ring of Honor champion, blah, blah, blah. And once a year, you crown a world champion. Like, I mean, like, that would be, 
just kind of next level stuff, you know. But I mean, a lot of things would a would. lot of things would have to happen, right? You're dealing with a lot of egos, like you're dealing with who who wins, who loses, who goes where. I mean, there's a lot to it. But last thing I'll last yeah. thing I'll say about it, Tony Khan's got the money. Like, if he wanted to, he could probably just buy Impact Wrestling. He could probably just buy Ring of Honor. Like, if he wants access to these talents, he might be able to just just get their contracts too. You know, there's a lot of possibilities yeah. at play right now that we just really haven't seen since like WCW was around. Yeah. It will be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, let's just hope that we don't see people get lost in the wash. That's my only fear because, you know, I know that a lot of these guys and gals have worked extremely hard to get to where they are. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, don't want to see them fall to the wayside for something they have no control over. Sure. I'm with, and I sympathize with that as well. I mean, Nothing would be worse than seeing somebody who's busted their asses for, you know, 10 years out on the indie scene get signed to that AEW contract and then, like, their career goes downhill because they're bringing in, you know, the good brothers instead or whatever. You know what I mean? So I I, I do I do totally yep. understand what you're saying. But... Yeah, absolutely. Like a sunny kiss. Like, where's sunny kiss at? Yeah. See, a lot of that's going to be AEW Dark. But at the same time, that is kind of the point. Like, not a lot of people are going to watch AEW Dark in comparison to Dynamite. So, um, kind of to your point. Like, yeah, m- most people would be asking that question, where is sunny kiss? I could say AEW Dark, but then you could also say, well, I don't want to take the time to watch AEW Dark. So, I just don't get to see sunny kiss. You know? Yep. Exactly. So... Well, Brad, we did it again, man. I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Um, I'm going to talk. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to talk about the sponsors for the show here in a second. But um, before I do that, please let everybody know where to follow you. uh, You know, plug your podcast. I I got a whole thing. uh, I'll do a Wrestle Rumble uh, advertisement for you um, afterwards. So that's great. Uh, So you can follow me on the Twitter machine at Pedersen Reports, which you can see right below me. But if you are listening to the audio version, it is spelled P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N Reports. Reach out to me there. Give me a follow. Give me a hello. Hi, how are you? And I'll be more than happy to talk back to you. Uh, Also, you can listen to me every Monday as part of the three-man power trip that makes up the worst wrestling podcast. We're on any platform you're looking for. You can find us by uh, selecting the worst wrestling podcast that has the microphone on the front. Uh, somebody else claims to be the worst. Nay, I say we are much more worse than them. So uh, come find me, Damian and Justin, talking out the side of our ass about anything and everything wrestling. There you go. And for anyone watching uh, on YouTube, eh, this is Brad's twitter right here so give him a follow and over at wrestlerumble.com one of the sponsors of the show love wrestle rumble brad of course the head of creative over there at wrestle rumble we talked about them a little bit at the beginning of the show but i'm gonna let y'all know once again one dollar y'all one dollar entries someone is gonna win this is one winner this isn't like five title belts five winners one person for one dollar is going to win replica titles and these i always it's always an oxymoron when i say these are the real deal replica titles because that's like doesn't make any sense but these are the really expensive replica title these are the title belts that look very 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 similar to what you see on television they're like you would know better than me these title belts are probably like three four hundred dollars a piece i mean this is like legit as it comes these ones 
we uh, are getting custom made because AEW doesn't sell replica titles. Right. So we are making them, being the plates casted. So these are, you're looking at, let's put it this way. If it were a cash, you'd have to file it as part of your income tax. Oof, love it. You're going to get the AEW world title, the AEW TNT title, both AEW tag team title belts, and the FTW title. There's been a lot of great contests at WrestleRumble.com. I talk about them every single show that I do. I love WrestleRumble. I uh, love the people over there. Matt, great guy. Um, is Amanda still doing stuff with y'all? Amanda Raifman? Uh, not that I'm aware I of. I think she was but, doing a little promotion uh, for it before, but Amanda's a great person as well. Um, Matt is salt of the earth guy. He is one of the best of the best. Yeah, really, really great dude. Um, and really, I mean, these contests are amazing. I, I, I'm constantly putting over WrestleRumble.com, but of all the contests, honestly, y'all, this might be the one I'm the most excited about. Like, I'm a huge mark for AEW. Like Brad was saying, you can't buy these title belts off AEW's website or anything. Like, this this is one of the few ways to even get these title belts. And I cannot wait. I mean, I, I want to win this contest so bad. Y'all have no idea. So I'll definitely be throwing some money out on there. I recommend that you do too. Make sure to make sure to stay up to date with all the contests at WrestleRumble.com and follow them on Twitter at WrestleRumble. Also, shout out to Music City Toys and Collectibles. They have autographs, DVDs, any kind of wrestling memorabilia. I mean, action figures, anything you think of. And the best part about them is they're really nice people and they'll give you fair business. What more can you ask for when it comes to... I know firsthand, as someone who does a lot of action figure collecting... Sometimes I go on eBay and I'm like, damn, I really want that, but I just don't want to pay that price. Or I want that, but like that plus shipping, you know, kind of turns me off from it. Music City Toys and Collectibles, if you go on their their Facebook that you see right in front of you on the screen, then the prices you see are the final prices. You see something for 10 bucks, they send it to you for 10 bucks. You're not paying extra fees or, or shipping. It's all included in the price. And they do claim sales, they do live auctions. They got something coming up with Shelly Martinez coming up soon. You can kind of see little pieces here and there for uh, for what Shelly's all about. And by the way, Corey Hummel, a watcher of the show, I've been I brought this up a couple times, but one more shout out for it. He got me, he bought me a cameo from Shelly Martinez the other day out of the complete blue. It was just like, hey man, surprise, uh, Shelly Martinez cameo, and I was like, thanks, like this was great. I've never had a cameo before, and it was from Shelly, and she was really really cool in it. So. Shout out to Corey and shout out to Music City Toys and Collectibles. They are opening a brick and mortar location on May the 1st, and that'll be in Nashville, Tennessee. So check that out and check out the online store, all the good stuff going on there at Music City Toys and Collectibles. Search for Music City Toys and Collectibles on all social media. And last but never least, my brother Brian Jensen. He is a boxing instructor. He is a co-owner of Steel Boxing and Athletics, a gym in Atlanta, Georgia. He does work with Parkinson's Foundations and people of all sizes, shapes, colors, backgrounds. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're looking to do, he can help you reach your goals. If you're looking to just lose a little bit of weight, if you want to compete at an amateur or professional level in mixed martial arts, kickboxing, boxing, whatever it is, uh, anything. If you have any kind of neurological issue, like Parkinson's, for instance, Brian is 100% certified in helping with those kind of things. No matter what your age is, Young or old, doesn't matter. He can help you in person in his gym in Atlanta, Georgia. He can meet you in person at your business. He can meet you in a park. He can meet you 
at your house. It doesn't matter. Whatever you guys want to work out, he can help you out with. And if you're not anywhere near, he will help you out online. He can do Skype calls, Zoom calls, all that kind of stuff. Anywhere in the world, just hit him up at BoxingATL on Instagram. That's B-O-X-I-N-G-A-T-L. If you hit him up, just like the rest of our sponsors, if you say, hey, Steven told me about this, or hey, Brad Pedersen told me, or hey, Jesse Davin told me, whoever it is, I promise you all these sponsors give you really good deals on what you're looking for. So, and when it comes to WrestleRumble.com, the deal's already there. I mean, we're talking $1 for, <laughs> we're talking $1 for, for five <laughs> title belts. Yeah, we got your back. And of course we give away entries here on the show for WrestleRumble. I mean, they're, they, they're great to us over there and, and great to our listeners. We're always trying to get more and more people involved with the contest and uh, all the other stuff going on. So that's all the sponsor stuff I have to talk about. My uh, Twitter, of course, is FightTalk underscore F-I-G-H-T-T-A-L-K underscore Every Tuesday, you can catch me on Twitch at, at Fightful Gaming, doing uh, Twitch Impact Wrestling watch-alongs. Got my videos that I edit on all things MMA on YouTube, if you like mixed martial arts. And more and more of this kind of stuff. Fightful Select Weekender Podcast. All the stuff I do, I just try to keep updated right there on Twitter at uh, Fight Talk underscore. And if you want to stay up to date with all the stuff Brad was telling you about, and along with our sponsors and everything else, the description of this video you're watching right now, um, it has Brad's link tree information, so you can check out all of his stuff right there with one click. Um, if you want a Fight Talk podcast hoodie or T-shirt or tank top or anything, I want one. Hey, if you if you <laughs> want one, uh, I wish I had them to give away. But if if anyone wants one, the link is in the description. It is at whatamaneuver.net. Um, we got a couple different uh, logos, colors, stuff like that. But uh, if you want to help support the show, if anyone watching wants uh, any of the merchandise, it's whatamaneuver.net. Link is in the description. Any money I make on merchandise gets invested right back into the show. I try to always look for better microphones. I do need a better webcam. So that's kind of what we're saving for right now is a better webcam. Um, So anything I make on there for anyone listening and to you, Brad, anything at all, it gets reinvested to try to make this podcast better for the listeners and the viewers. 